JG Smooth has been beloved by some, uh, but it, it will have to change now. Um, I know the intro will still stay, still say, you know, hosted by JG Smooth. I'm going to go ahead and say, now I'm going to just go by my government name. So from now on, you know, it, it will be Jonathan Goodo, AKA JG Smooth. Kind of there's a balance there. Um, now that I'm kind of venturing into actual radio, I feel like it's best to actually use a name more suitable for sports talk. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, so we're going to go ahead here and um, again continue. I'm Jonathan Goodo, a.k.a. JG Smooth, and this is the very first show show podcast 2019-2020 season. It has been a very long off season. Uh, but I'm glad that we are back. I'm glad I'm still able to do this post graduation. And so we're going to go ahead, jump into some, jump into as we always do, uh, other UCO news first. Uh, the first big story um, I don't know, some of you may or may not have seen this. Late July, uh, men's basketball coach Tom Hankins resigned. Uh, and fairly quickly after that, uh, Bob Hoffman was named as men's basketball head coach. And as we know, Tom Hankins uh, and the basketball team had a down year this past season. A lot of close losses, but in the end, a losing record. And he thought it was best to step down. That being said, Bob Hoffman was introduced uh, on the 5th. So uh, just a mere 23 days, a days ago. 
Uh, and on BroncoSports.com, my man Chris Brannick, the sports info guy, um, wrote up a nice little bio about Tom Hankins. I'm going to go ahead and read that here. Hoffman becomes the 18th head coach at, at, at UCO, which began playing in 1921. Hoffman is an Oklahoma City native and played his high school basketball at Putman City High School in the early 1970s. He then moved on to play collegiately at Oklahoma Baptist, where he would spend the next four years scoring more than a thousand points. To this day, Hoffman still ranks among the all-time scoring leaders for the Bison. Hoffman accepted his first head coaching job at Piedmont High School and coached there from 82 to 86, while simultaneously attending graduate school at UCO, earning his Master of Education in 85. After working with OBU as an assistant coach for a couple of years, he took his first head coaching position at the collegiate level at Southern Nazarene in 87. At SMU, Hoffman averaged 29 wins per season, going 88 and 16 in a three-year stretch. He took a program that had never had a winning season and won a national championship in 89, earning Sooner Athletic Conference District 9 and NAIA Coach of the Year honors for his efforts. Hoffman then returned to Shawnee to become the head coach at his alma mater and would soon leave a mark on the program. Still remembered today and now a member of the OBU Athletics Hall of Fame, Hoffman led the Bison from 90 to 99 and won 243 games along the way. He led OBU to the national tournament six times and had three teams win 30 or more games. The Bison finished second in the national tournament in 93 and 97 while finishing third in 94. He reached the Sweet 16 in 96 and the Elite 8 in 99. Hoffman was named SAC Coach of the Year in 93, 96, and 97. He was the District 9 Coach of the Year again in 93 and earned National Coach of the Year honors for a second time in his career in 93. He moved on from OBU in 99 to Texas Pan American and won 68 games there over the next five seasons. He guided the program to its first winning season over 10 years and its first tournament victory in over 15 while also helping UTPA to its first ever national ranking. And spending a few seasons as an assistant coach at OU and leading the American Basketball Association's Arkansas Arios in the NBA D-League, now G-League, uh, Rio Grande Valley Club, Hoffman would move to Mercer University in Georgia and again leave his mark on a program. Hoffman won 209 games at Mercer from 08 to 19, including 119 conference games. He led the Bears to its first ever NCAA tournament win in 2014, a major upset of Duke in the opening round of March Madness, and he also became the first coach in NCAA history to win a tournament game in all four Division I postseason tournaments in a four-year span. Hoffman directed Mercer to six postseason appearances over the past seven seasons. He was named Athletic Sun Coach of the Year three times during his tenure at Mercer. Hoffman now takes over the reins of a UCO program looking to rebound after a rare sub 100 season in 1819. UCO has won over 1,300 games and has an illustrious history that includes 22 conference or division championships and 17 national tournament appearances. So as you can see here, our, um, our director Eddie Griffin went out and hired a heck of a coach first off a stint at Mercer. Um, this is a heck of a hire, you know. Tom Hankins again is a guy that, that, that the players uh, at least the ones I talked to, mainly being Corbin Byford and Jake Hammonds, 
uh, really like Tom Hankins. I know, again, it was a rough season, um, but Bob, Bob Hoffman here, uh, in, in my opinion, is a great hire. Anytime you can get a coach the caliber uh, of Bob Hoffman, you know, someone that has D1 experience, but also has coaching experience in the state at the lower levels, uh, I think really, really a test here. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what the men's program does this season, how they rebound from last season. I know there are gonna be some new faces on there. There was some, uh, you know, some graduations and then some transfers due to the coaching change. So I'm looking forward to seeing here how the new look roster fares. Um, other news: soccer, soccer is also around a very, very around around the corner. Matter of fact, they start September 5th. Uh, 1 p.m., which is actually the same day that UCO plays out enough, which is kind of weird. Um, 1 p.m. home versus Dallas Baptist. They are the ninth, the ninth ranked team in the country. So, uh, again, soccer, you know, last season, dominating performance. I expect nothing less from them this season. Volleyball, another very very su successful program uh was picked fourth in the mi double pitches and pulls they opened the season friday september 6th versus malone in st petersburg florida um in other news across country news uh they were picked uh they were picked 10th they're picked 10th in the mi double coaches poll um so you know we'll see if they can uh they can finish higher than higher than that um and then over the summer this had that yes this over the summer some major news here as you know uco softball and baseball programs have been on the upswing and um former uco pitcher austin lambright i think i mentioned him before was called to the Kansas City Royals this past summer. I mentioned that when I got to go on the air this summer at OKC CBS Sports Radio. So I'm glad for him. Uh, and we had another one that called up to our double A. So we have some some Broncos in the MLB making some some major moves here. And then of course I mentioned this two uh, women's assistant coach Heather Davis had the opportunity to, to go travel abroad and coach uh, with uh, some fellow D1 players, I mean Division II players, excuse me, um, on a tour of Brazil and other countries, and they had a very successful trip there. So Broncos doing great things in all areas. That being said now, of course, we're going to jump into the main meat of this podcast, and that is... That is UCL football. So, um, a quick recap in case you are new here. Last year, UCO uh, finished the season eight and four, uh, back to back eight and four seasons. Um, first time since I believe 02, 03 that that has happened. Uh, so, uh, and, and again, much like the year before, slow start. Uh, slow starts, I think, really kind of hampered the uh, team there. Again, in, we're entering the season. You know, we had the question mark of well, who do we, who replaces Chad Stallard? Chad Stallard, of course, one of the all-time greats at UCO. 
Um, and then you have some offensive line concerned as well. Now, you were not concerned about the defense that returned off the linebackers. Very solid group. Uh, and then before the season started, uh, you had injuries took its toll again. Uh, it forced two players, Anderson Staggs and Carson Smith, to make the retire. Carson Smith being the biggest blow as he's one of the best nose guards in Division II at the time. And then um, our leading corner, Stephon Robinson, was also kicked off the team by the week before the season started. So you're kind of behind the eight ball there. Um, when talking to Coach Bobek prior to the Pitt State game last year, uh, he was going to use all three quarterbacks. It was Keats Calhoun from Victory Christian that trotted out there in the opener. And despite, you know, some struggles there, which you, you kind of expect the Pitt State is a very good team, um, and on the road on top of that, you kind of expected it. I will say the defense did a heck of a job, actually, against Pitt State. They ran a spread option. Not easy to defend, but they defended it well um, and gave themselves a chance in that in that game. Unfortunately, they fell in that game 7-21. to 21. However, Keats did so a lot. Uh, he was the leading rusher in that game. Um, and that will be a theme here. The first couple of games, the ground game was iffy again as the line is tr was trying to find its identity. Um, and so, you know, it, so they, they felt they felt a pitch state. I wasn't too upset about that because I figured, well, it's the first game. Now we now we know what to expect here. So then the second game, which we figured was a very winnable game. And in the end of this game, I feel like a lot of people also feel like kind of cost UCO a possible playoff bid here. The home opener against uh, Nebraska Kearney. That's when they open up the new sports performance center, which is top of the line. Uh, and they went out that game. It was a downpour prior to kickoff. I remember that correctly. It was a downpour. Could not even get out of the board to make the game. I had you know watching it on the MIAA network, and to my surprise, they fell in that game, uh, 31 to 27. Uh, you know, it was a back and forth game. This was kind of almost, this was kind of a reverse of a pitch state game where the offense was more so on the ball and the defense really was not. Uh, and in the at the at the end here. Uh, Keats, again, this is where I think I became a true believer in Keats here. Uh, back against against the wall late in the fourth for leading a promising drive, a scoring drive to possibly win the game on fourth down. Uh, he threw a pass to Dustin Bonkers, who I believe, if my stats are correct here, is he did. It was his first 100-yard game, 11 catches, 136 yards. This was where he his first coming out party. Uh, trying to secure his 12th catch, the ball was tipped. I will say it was a nice play by the Russia Kearney defensive back. He tipped Oscar saw it, couldn't get to the ball in time, and unfortunately hit the ground. And that was the end of that. So you're sitting there at 0-2. You kind of had, you know, one game the defense came out and did good. Then the next game the offense came out and did good. But you haven't put it together. Needing a win, they go on the road to Lindenwood and do indeed get the first win 
of the season, 52 to 42. Now, fortunately, in that game, the injury bug would rear its ugly head again, as this time Keith Calhoun went down for what ended up being a season in the knee injury. So he finished his season with 572 yards, five touchdowns, and one interception in two and a half games. Now, uh, on the bright side here, I learned he was granted a medical redshirt, uh, which is which is great. So uh, ABC did not lose that year of eligibility, and it helps out tremendously because um, the top three quarterbacks, Keith, Chandler, Garrett, and Will Collins were all the same year. So now, the Tenley puts Keats a year behind, which is great because now, even though Will Collins and Chandler Garrett will finish after the 2020-2021 season, Keats will still be there. So we're not just going without any experience. Um, but continuing on the trend and recap of last season, uh, they, they, they did indeed win that game. Chandler Garrett comes into that game uh, through two touchdowns, but it was 4-11 and also had a interception. So, uh, was not the greatest thing. However, that was the game. And I remember this correctly. You can go back and look, I believe, at episode one in the, in the archives of the, the website. Here, you, in episode one, I mentioned the name of Tyrone Howe. I said that this is a man, a true from Ida Bell, 6'3". I said there's a guy here really good in the in the scrimmages that I said was going to be hard to keep off the field. I was told they're gonna rush him. I said it would be tough because in that inner squad scrimmage, uh the man was making major, major plays, some nice catches, and I figured it'd be hard to keep him off the field. Well the receiving court minus Dustin Dawson got off to a slow start. The coach decided to go ahead not only play him but start him in that game uh and you know the man did pretty good i know he had a touchdown in that in in that game uh but that was also the game where mikhail uh where mikhail hall i started to question mikhail hall um from john marshall and he was a guy that coach was raved about for quite some time i remember when they signed him and then even talking to him prior to last season, he was still a name that was thrown out a lot. I was expecting more from him. I believe that that he, I don't think he, he might have had a catch in that game. And at that point, I started to question him that you will see later on. I had to eat my word on Mr. McHale Hall. Um, but at that time, it was not turned high. Five catches for 100. 52 yards and two touchdowns in that Lindenwood game. So you're sitting at one and two, now you lost your starting quarterback, and you return home to host number four in Northwest Missouri State with Chandler Garrett making his first career starts. So, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was necessarily the best case scenario. Now, were we, was I least worried about a one and three start at that point in time? Yes, I was, because North Missouri State is a very good team now the past couple of seasons uh they actually have played them close almost in a in a, a downpour if i recall correctly but a lot of that team was gone uh most importantly being chad stallard so you have with from having a a proven veteran all-time great to a man making his first college start and to my surprise and i'm sure many 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 people on both sides in attendance 
Uh, UCLA was up in that game 28 to three. Uh, and to say I was floored was an understatement there because Chandler Garrett was playing out of his mind in that game. Uh, Flowing for 274 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, and running for 59 yards. If you take away the sack yards, he had 91. Uh, Curry, however, also had another strong game. This would be his last game of the season and in a Blanco uniform period as he was removed in the uh, in the in the spring. He had eight catches for 103 yards and one touchdown in that win. And so, you know, at that point, if you were around the program, you kind of had to take a look and say, okay, what is it? Because at this point, you're saying, okay, we lost to Kearney, so to beat Kearney, you beat North Missouri State, so lost North Missouri, Missouri State. So we didn't know what to expect going into Fort Hayes. Uh, they lost to Fort Hayes, however, um, 15 to nothing, unfortunately. The offense did not show up. The defense, again, put a heck of a game. And this was the first time being shut out in seven seasons. Now, however, the one bright spot was Mikhail Hall. First, Mikhail Hall signing three catches for 53 yards. And that was great because he had two catches in the first three games. So I remember saying we have Mikhail Hall signing. Maybe this is what he needs. Turn it around, and boy, was it ever. Um, as he went on, let's go ahead and his he went on here to finish with what we are here, excuse me for a second here, with 37 catches for 698 yards and three touchdowns, including some monster performances in two out of the last three games. Let me tell you, McHale Hall and those two out of the last we'll get to here briefly, uh, showed why he was highly regarded. I, I, I have no more questions as to why he was highly regarded. Uh, but up into that point, you know, it was not. So we go to homecoming against Missouri. Another back and forth game. This is when my man and fellow guest Eli Hooks came in there at, at the end of the game. Uh, got back-to-back sacks. Uh, thank you for some questionable clock management by Central Missouri. You sure was able to win that game. <coughs> there was also the game where Jakari Hunt, one of my favorite players, put a receiver in a neck brace. Gotta put that out there again because he is a hitter for that receiver before. Again, I compare him to Xavier Woods with the Dallas Cowboys. And if you watch them both play, you cannot tell me there's not a resemblance there from a size and play style uh, position. They didn't go on the road against Missouri, Missouri Western. The defensive battle was, was uh, they got the win. They, they got the win. I think at this point, Will Collins is starting because Sean Garrett got hurt against Fort Hayes. And we proceed, we proceed to then win five in a row. Uh, we beat Missouri Western, shut out Wasper. Now that, that Wasper game, uh, I would say was by far the most complete game. I'll say the most complete game. Now it was one of three straight shutouts, uh, which also was the first time that has occurred since 1979, only the second time since 1942. 
Uh, but the, the, the Wasp Rhythm one was a very complete shot. I mean, even the special team, I, I, this is where Kate Mendenhall to me uh, was, was just making plays on like kick coverage. Uh, and that game, you know, Mikhail Hall had had a, had his first hundred yard game. Uh, Dustin Boston had a hundred yard game. Go to Missouri Southern, not not the best thirty one to zero win. And uh, I remember I was saying it was ugly. It was only ten nothing, ten to zero at the uh, at the half against a team that had just ended a twenty game a losing streak the week before against Northeastern State. They had just two sacks on the season. That, you know, you still came out strong in the, in the second half, scored three touchdowns. Then in the rivalry game against Northeastern State, we took great pleasure in beating them 62 to nothing. Uh, I remember this game for a couple of reasons. One, McHale Hall, 200 yards, two dudes on six catches. Uh, the defense had three interceptions. Uh, and this was when Justin Curry, now he only played in one half. Now these are the one half stats. 18 carries, 157, three touchdowns, 8.7 yards carry. So uh, that, that, that right there to tell you a lot. MSU only had eight first downs, 40 yards, and 159 yards of total offense. That game, I have to say, uh, was indeed a slaughtering. So we're gonna move on from that. Uh Emporium on senior day, that was another tough game. They were down by 14. Well Collins uh with a minute 18 left. They fought back they score with, with eight seconds. Uh, they did not get the onside kick but I was proud of the way that they that that that, that, that they fought that they could afford the tent but didn't didn't. Um but that's what Collins, honestly, to me, I feel like, really showed his moxie there. He had 200 yards passing, two touchdowns, 138 on the game. And that is where senior Ronald Turner Jr., UAB transfer, then kind of was, Cliff uh, Beck said, was, a, was a, kind of just a factor of the system in regards to low numbers. But he went out and went with a bang, having 81 yards on nine catches. Uh, so that, however, led them to the heart champs, heart of Texas Bowl. And that's when they played Angelo State, who had the winning defensive player of the year, Marcus Jones, at defense in, who had 36 and a half tackles for loss and 17 and a half sacks. I will say that is where that is where Noah Hammonds, uh, I would say probably, now I, you know, had a tremendous game. I do not remember hearing Marcus Jones' name not once during that during during that game, and that was a game where UCO <coughs> excuse me was down late in that fourth quarter, and they came back. Uh, scoring 21 straight points. As a matter of fact, they outscored in the final period. Outscored Angelo State 28-3. Uh, was fantastic. Kill Hall again in that game. Uh, you know, again, again in that game, he had he had 109 yards on three catches, including a 53-yard yard touchdown to really seal the deal there. 
Um, that fourth quarter was indeed the match. I mean, that's what Will Collins, in my opinion, uh, it really showed me that he he you know that this is this is this is why he was a highly regarded recruit out of Lon McCollum. This is why he was in Louisiana. Mon, uh, Monroe signing. This is why he started when Louisiana Monroe came to Norman a couple of years ago. Um, so that was last season. Now I'm looking at this season here. Um, and you have to take a take a look again and say, okay, well, you have back to back eight and four seasons. When is the next step going to occur? And the hope is with a quicker start, this is the season in which the next step occurs. Now, for that to happen, there are some question marks here that need to be answered. Uh, number one, again, is quarterback. Now, from what I was told, they had an inner squad scrimmage a couple of Saturdays ago. My man, James Jackson, the news uh, editor-in-chief at the Vista, was there and he informed me that Will Collins looked, looked tremendously better than than the other two. Would not be surprised if Will Collins isn't being started because again, I don't know how on earth it, it would be tough because what he did. I mean, the man. I mean, the man went six and one as a starter. If we're looking at the at the stats here, one thousand seven hundred. 59 yards, 14 TDs, 4 picks, 288 yards, 2 TDs on the ground. He ranked first in the conference in interceptions. Pass percentage is 64.1%. Pass efficiency at 158.0%. And second in yards per game with 251.3. Now, I don't know how you're supposed to bench that. Now, I know Keats again. As this, is, this is where I was... Uh, this is where I was questioning this uh, in the in the in the uh, in the season recap, and during spring was it's tough because Keats didn't lose the job. And Keats actually did a heck of a job himself before he got hurt. And uh, Chandler Gear, I'm not worried about him because he will probably still have that short yardage role that he has had now for the past couple of seasons. But I I, I felt that Keats Keats. Again, he got hurt when Collins emerged, and now it's going to be tough for him to get the job back. This happens all the time, and it's felt kind of bad for Keith because he had to sit behind Chad Stallard. He finally got his chance, had seized the moment, and was, was playing great football. He gets hurt when Collins comes and plays exquisite football, and, and you know now he's probably going to be back to being QB2. Um, however, Will Collins does add that dimension of running with the ball, I said it back then that Will Collins in terms of playing style was more similar to Chad Stallard. And again, Will Collins in there, especially towards the end of last season, I kind of felt like I did with Chaz when you never felt out of the game. The Angelo State game, anything proved that uh, with Will Collins at the helm. Uh, then the other QBs on the roster, you have sophomore Casey Bates that played one quarter. I uh, believe against NSU last year, did not record any stats. Then they added Brandon George. If that name sounds familiar, he was a former standout quarterback at Jones. And his brother is starting center, Nick George. And he's also a redshirt sophomore. So 
uh, that is a pretty hefty unit. To me, you have four guys, because I've seen you made into a play before. You have four guys that I feel like you can run with on any given Saturday. <clears throat> so that is a very deep unit. Um, and that will be the theme here for most of this roster. Is It is deep. It is deep. Now, they might not have experience at the moment, but it is deep. And if you recall how critical that was a couple of years ago at running back, uh, were injuries to Jake and Dara, and then you had some departures from freshmen, and then you had the uh, the uh, I'm drawing a blank here. The Quan uh, Hogan quitting the team after getting hurt, and you left with pretty much one running back, and that was walk on Bruce White, and so uh, you know it, it, that that one that one was tough and. Ever since then, depth has been amazing, uh, including at running back, where again, there is a lot of depth. There's not a lot of experience. As a matter of fact, the leading rusher out of that unit is sophomore Sabor Daniels, who had 71 yards. Now, Sabor Daniels, again, if you recall, I mentioned that a couple of times, was a receiver out of Tulsa Central, moved to running back during the year where everybody, everybody was hurt but did not play. He stayed there, and this is a man that last year when he got his opportunities behind Justin Curry and Clay McKenzie, really ran hard. I, I, I like Sabor. I like the way he runs. He makes the most out of his carries. I don't know, however, how he's going to shake out in the depth chart because there are some talented players in front of him. Uh, the first two that really made waves in the spring that Coach Bobek did single out to me was Juco TJ Roberts, 5'11", 210 pounds, uh, the Mesa Community College in Arizona. This was the guy on the early signing day. They signed him. I wasn't sure why they signed him. I viewed the highlight. He leaped over a standing defender, and I said, okay, I know why he is here. I have been told by Coach Bobek himself, and this is a very, 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 very tough statement to make, but he made it. He just was the most explosive player they've had since Josh Birmingham. You know, the call Josh Birmingham, uh, a tremendous running back from Luther. Uh, first went to Wyoming and then transferred and was an absolute monster in the bronze and gold. And uh, so th that's, saying, that's saying a lot because you look at the other playmakers that they've had over the years, talking about. JT Looper led all level of football in receiving yards. Josh Crockett, who's now playing in the CFL, spent a year with the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, there's been some offensive players, and this is going to say that he is the most explosive they've had since Josh Birmingham is saying a lot. Now, he did over 2,000 yards and 18 touchdowns in two years. So he's a guy I like to think would be getting a lot of touches. Uh, retro freshman Peyton Scott from Sand Springs, the Gatorade High School, Oklahoma Gatorade player at the Union High School senior year, uh, took a redshirt last year. Also looks looks strong. I like to say that that would probably be the one-two punch. But then, literally a week before fall camp, they got a huge transfer from Oregon, uh, former four-star Taj Griffin. Uh, he's been in a, a a fifth a fifth year. 
after playing only three games last season, he took the uh, the Jalen McCleskey route for OSU, where he kind of just retreated himself uh, to preserve that final year of eligibility. He decided to come play for UCLA, and I also heard he is also looking extremely good. Uh, he finished his Oregon career with 879 rushing yards. 408 receiving yards. I have also read that he might get some time at receiver as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Another guy that James mentioned to me. And then you still have another registered freshman, Tucker Pauly from Bigsby, was a very solid player for them. And then you have registered junior Tyler Fresh, you recall the Juco receiver. They moved to running back. Uh, they resurrected him last year to help him ease into that. And then we also have true freshman Will Phillips from Enid, who I said reminds me playing style-wise somewhat of Le'Veon Bell, the way he's patient and finds the holes. He also had some D1 offers. Loaded backfield. A very loaded backfield. Interesting to see how what the top of the depth is looking like because the me here... Especially with the addition of Taz Griffin, you had three guys. And Roberts, Scott, and Griffin here, along with Samuel Daniels, that could be effective back. So to me, you have three solid backs. Um, I, I'm curious now, I would, if you had asked me this post-spring, I would have said probably TJ Roberts is starting. But now with the addition of Taz Griffin, I'm not entirely sure here what's gonna what's gonna look like when they open up against Pitt State, but there should be a deep backfield here. This this honestly looking like the best offense. I mean, we're talking about the offense a couple of years ago. Lutheran Crockett was dominant. The offense last year um, was still. I mean, the offense last year still averaged 30 points a game and 406 yards. I mean, we're talking about we were breaking in. New quarterback, new offensive line, trying to get some receivers to step up. I mean, and it's still as a 400 yards game and 30 points. I'd like to say this year, I'm going to go on a limb. This could legitimately be one of the most successful offenses in all of Division two. I'm, I'm going to just go out there and say that right now because on paper, it looks very scary. Uh, with the amount now of experience and talent returning, plus you add in new talent such as uh, TJ Roberts and Todd Griffin, and then you even look at wide receiver. Uh, and Kobo Beck also said, and I quote, on paper, most talented group of receivers we've had since I've been here. He's been there for eight years. Uh, that's tell you a lot, too. Again, this is, I mean, we, we had Curry, Looper, Crockett Boskis was top four a couple of years ago. This would be better than that. So you're talking about a, a, a pro receiver right now. Talking about a guy that led all the football in receiving yards. Talking about a guy that as a third receiver still had almost 800 yards. And talking about Dustin Bo I mean, we, to, to say that what he has now is better than that says a lot. That's just speak volumes here. Uh, again, you know, you have Dustin Boskis. Not sure he's going to be granted that other year eligibility. He's had some injury issues. I know they have been trying. As of right now, he's listed as a senior. Um, but that could very well change at some point. I remember that happened to Jacob Blair last year. 
he was listed as a senior, and then kind of midway through the season, he was granted the extra year of eligibility and was changed to a junior, so that may may not happen to Dustin Voskis. But in any case, you know, you, you, have, you have him back, you have Mikhail Hall back. They also added a couple of Jukos, Amante Preach Phillips on uh, 6'3", and Josh Moore, uh, 5'11", who Coach also said in the spring was looking really good. Uh, he said that those are two guys they felt like were the, were the division one guys. So, you know, so now you, to me, you have four solid guys. Yeah, you still have Tom Howe back. And you also have my man, I feel like kind of went under the under under the radar, had some injury issues, uh, was a late position switch. That is Johnny Bizel the fourth. And Carl Albert, remember he was a quarterback I had mentioned, was actually at one point in the spring, was leading, leading the charge to be the starting quarterback. Uh, and then was switched to wide right to to receiver. He kind of had, I know he had a, had a uh, concussion, was still learning the position, but still had eight catches for 128 yards. Now he's a guy that coach also said is going to improve. So we're talking about six guys right there, not counting redshirt freshman Diego Richards, who at the time of his signing, coach said was the most explosive player in the whole state. And you have Dossel Huddleston from Marlowe, a big six foot three uh, body there. So the, the, I mean, we're talking about eight, eight at that point. Uh, then they also have a junior Cole Taylor. Now he's a guy I saw on the roster. Not sure about his story, uh, but he he he's a. Uh, He's from he's from Victor Christian, so it didn't list a junior college, so I'm not sure what the story is there. And then they also have sophomore Juco uh, Clayton Cook from Shakota by way of Sterling College, uh, and then you also have Caden Mendenhall in there, the special teams ace. Again, if you watch that Washburn game, you will see this this man was an absolute. Beast. I mean, just go back, watch the film on the kickoffs. Man was down there every time it was a clinic, and I have to say, I was really impressed by his play there. So, we're talking about you could possibly have a unit that is 10 deep at this point. Uh, that is really, really impressive. And if all 10 guys at any given time could, you know, produce big numbers, that's that's saying a lot. I mean, th that is looking really good. I mean, we're talking about we, we have the size from Mikhail Hall, 6'2", 6'3", as long as he avoids that sophomore slump, along with Tyron Howell, another guy that's 6'3". Uh, you know, Monty Phillips is 6'3". And you have your your, your slot guys there, Boskis. Uh, you have uh, Josh Moore, you know, he, can kind of have the smaller guys and, and talk from out there, talk Todd Griffin. So you have options there looking very promising. Uh, and, and then by way of H-back, I'm going to just go out and say probably one of, if not the best in the whole conference. Uh, you returned every single H-back last year. I know the H-backs, you look stat-wise, don't get the love. And it's truly unfortunate because there are some great great H-backs there. You have Marshall Tolson who coached and said numerous times to me 
I was the best inline blocker in the conference. Dante McGee, you have Dante McGee, who, if memory serves correctly here, made honorable mention all conference last year. Uh, he also had a one of the units two touchdowns. You have Daxton Williams at 275. Uh, can can kind of affect both both the run and pass game. And then you also have Isaiah Jackson, who they signed last year at a broken arrow. I was surprised he played, uh, but he did. He actually had the other touchdown. Uh, and so you return all four. That, that is very impressive. And all four, again, can do great work. Now, to me, Dante McGee, probably the most versatile out of the group. Again, Tolson and Williams, more, more so your blocker. Jai Jackson at 210, he might have gotten somewhat bigger. Uh, he's also a guy that um, that I'm curious to see what his role is in all this. Um, and and you know, so but but to me, we're talking about Dante McGee was a running back out of out of UConn, six four, probably two thirty. I saw him last year after the Washburn game. You tell you, he is a very large man, and let me tell you, he when the ball's in his hands, man is solid. So I think eight of you know the, the so the, the the backfield, the receiving core is solid. The quarterback situation, whoever they start, whether it be Keats, whether it be Will Collins, I think you're fine there. You're looking at the offensive line here to round out, round, or to round the offense. It was a questionable last year, as I mentioned, to me is not a strength. You have Jacob Blair back. You have Nick George, who despite missing, I would say, at least three, three four games with, uh, with injuries. He still was third-team All-Conference. Uh, you also have Tyler Stillwell back, who was second-team All-Conference. Uh, you you have sophomore Seth Carmack, who um, pretty much took hold of that of that guard spot last year. Uh, they all returned and started. So really, the only starter you're really losing. Like, really, it is a big one here in first team all MIAA, Noah Hammonds. So Noah Hammonds, again, is a man that held Marcus Jones, again, 17 and a half sacks in that bowl game to absolutely zilch. He will be missed, will be missed, uh, but you also have talented players waiting, waiting uh, in, in the wings that you have J.W. Morrow, uh, you you also have big redshirt senior Quentin Sanders from Houston, Texas, 6'5", 330 pounds. You also have Jacob Sitzler, a redshirt, a redshirt freshman from Salina, Oklahoma, was an eight-man player, 6'7", 330 pounds as well. So you have the signs. Again, I mentioned they're the signing day special. They brought in some massive linemen. I don't think they will play. I, I can't envision them playing because again, uh, the depth is now there. Uh, ben Ronson is a guy I mentioned last year as a versatility guy. He can, I think he can play all three positions. I know I see him at guard and tackle and he was listed as a center too. So that being said, here I think he he's the he's the guy that would get the first call 
uh, off the bench if he's not starting. Um, so, but again, the line to me now, I feel, I'm not entirely for sure on this, but I feel like you could probably go too deep, uh, which is, which again, is, is, is very good. So, overall, offensively here, especially the way Christian Hood was able to adopt the offense on the fly, I mean, that, that, that's no easy task because, again, Chandler Garrett, Will Collins, Keith Calhoun, all have different strengths. So to be able to pretty much week by week almost tailor the offense to fit them and go out there and still produce 30 points, 400 yards a game really says a lot about the Christian Hood. So I'm I'm, here, I'm excited to see what he does with a full arsenal of weapons now. Uh, players that have experience that hopefully knock on wood here that health holds up and and we because if if it does this offense it, i mean i'm telling you, it's i mean it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch I, i'm I, i'm telling you i cannot wait until thursday pitt state it's gonna be fun to watch now defensively here uh russ pickett's unit again another man that did, did a tremendous job last year held opponents to just 20 points a game now in this day and age that is a heck of a job. I mean, and that is that is a heck of a, because you got to figure, especially early on in the season when the offense was struggling, most notably against Pitt State. I mean, that they they were on the field a lot early on in that season, and then when you look at what they did against Northwest Missouri State, number four team in the country, holding them to three points for three quarters, it's exquisite, and then posting. Three straight shutouts there. Um, it, it, I can't. I can't say enough about the job that he has done. Now, he's also taking over the defensive backs this year because I mentioned before earlier that um, defensive backs coach Nick Graham left for the left to be the DB coach at McNeese State. So uh, he's taking over there. He also has a new uh, a new defensive line coach. And Pat Hill, who came from Angelo State, where he coached the uh, aforementioned Marcus Jones. So I'm curious to see what magic he can work with here. Now, on the D line, it, it's, it's kind of weird because they do uh, six, six lettermen, and most of them know are tackles because if you look at the defensive ends, uh, kind of what the majority of the seniors were. I mean, you had you had main Eli Hooks, um, Justin Stewart. Uh, you had Noble Librand. You had uh, Trey Trey Warmington. I mean, most of the most of the seniors were a defensive end. Now tackle tackle is going to be the uh, the strength because they will have back from injury. Tulsa transfer Mike Rios. Who at the time of his injury, I believe it was against Northwest Missouri State, was indeed the best lineman on the team. Was an absolute uh, uh, beast in there. They also had the man who they call KK back again. I'm not, not going to butcher the man's name here. Uh, he also had a had a very strong season as a nose guard. Now his stats are not going to prove that, but uh, just from a pure impact standpoint. Uh, he definitely uh, was stronger towards the end of this and the end of the season. Also, have 
Joseph Roki from Clinton uh, came on a strong two, and they should be able to now, especially with the addition of Juco's um, Cody Brown Jr. Uh, and Daryl Friends. I like to think we'll be able to move Stephon Starks, uh, who last year had to play tackle at 271. He should be going back to defensive end. I'm liking to see what he does in his actual position. Uh, and then, you know, also at defensive end, I know they brought in some Juco's, Devin Badgett from NEO. Uh, they also have another Juco, Richard Desheer Jones is in there. I'm really curious, though, uh, to see three guys in particular here at defensive end. Um, number one being North Texas transfer Brandon Shaw. From Broken Arrow, uh, 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 Derek Shaw, Derek Shaw, Derek Shaw is a guy from Broken Arrow that was an absolute monster. I'm mean, gonna tell you, was an absolute monster at Broken Arrow. Uh, went to North Texas, he redshirted and transferred here. He's the guy I'm looking forward to. I mentioned that Mike Rios made a huge impact as a D1 transfer last year. I am hoping that Derek Shaw does does the same because. He, he was a monster at Broken Arrow uh, a couple of seasons ago. Also curious to see redshirt freshman Stephen Craiger from Jinx. He's a guy that Eli, when he came on here, mentioned um, that he's really high on. So I'm curious to see what he does. As as well as 6'7", uh, sophomore Von Appleman from, from, from Ada. Uh, just at that, at that length. Uh, reminds me of Trey Warmington, who also was six 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 foot seven. So curious to see, you know, if Vaughn can get some playing time. You know, he, he got some last year in the blowouts. Curious to see if he can actually be a part of the rotation. But the defensive line again under Pat Hill, I'm expecting great things, especially if they can stay healthy. Because again, like if, if we can get my, if Mike Rios comes comes back to where he was before the injury, uh, this if the defensive ends show up, uh, it, it it's gonna be scary. Uh, I, I would hate to be opposing offensive linemen because this is a very deep unit now, and and again if they can stay healthy, I feel like especially under Pat Hill. We should see some improvements. It, it, it was it was it was good last year. I'm expecting the same or better this year. I feel like moving on here to the linebackers is probably the biggest question mark on the team because you're losing all starters. Uh, you you are losing second uh, third team linebackers Colton Lindsay and Alex Figueroa to graduation. And then you are also losing um, Chris Pogai to graduate for to Swasu. So you're having to replace three starters. Now, that's not the worst thing in the world. Remember, they really did last year. Um, the only backup they lost was Langston Underwood. But you do return Dylan Hall, Brian Burns, and Jeremiah Hill. That all played last year. Hill was kind of banged up some in the, uh, in the spring. I know Coach was really high on him as well. There were three Jucos last year that played. If I recall correctly, Dylan Hall had a heck of a game against Northwest Missouri State. Made the tackle there late on the goal line to uh, secure the win. 
Um, I also had redshirt freshman Marlo Hughes Jr. from Enid. Now, he was a guy in the spring they tried at safety. Uh, now, he's still listed as a linebacker, so I'm assuming that's where he will start the season as. But he definitely has the potential to be a safety as well. Could be one of, my, one of the most hybrid guys. Uh, Jason Harris is in the mix too. Redshirt red freshman from Booker T. Washington, Tulsa. Uh, and then there are a couple of newcomers here that uh, that I'm curious to see about. One of them being Draquan Brown, a 6'2", 230-pound transfer from Northern Illinois. He has seven tackles in two sacks in 12 games in 2017. They had one game last season. Uh, he also spent two years at Independence Community College in Kansas, a last chance you fame, where he had 90 tackles in two sacks in 2016. Now, if I'm curious, I'm going to go on a limb here and say he was a teammate of Stephon Starks at uh, Indy. So, it, but in, in either case, he, he you know here's a guy here that has the has the size. Um, you know, last D1 transfer linebacker was Alex Figueroa, so eh, no pressure on that front for Jaquan Brown. Uh, you know, uh, ho hopefully he pans out uh, the uh, same way that that uh, Figueroa did. They also added another Juco, Isaiah Feaster, 5'11", 230 pounds from Cicero Community College in Texas. Uh, he had 39 tackles, 7 TFLs as last fall. Now, he actually was also a running back in high school. Uh, so, it, this is an interesting guy. Um, another big dude here. I'm curious to see what, what he can do. And then they have redshirt freshman Jack. Now, hoping I'm not saying this man's name wrong. On the record from Memorial. And also Isaiah Major, a true freshman from from Millwood, who I said at the time of signing. Uh, one of those guys, I watched the highlights of him, and uh, let me tell you, he again at Millwood is going to be well, uh, well close that day. They had a very good program. I, I, I said then it's going to be tough for him to step off the field because that man is just that good. He's just. You watch the film, and you're the man technically sound. He makes the plays, and this man's gonna be hard to keep off the field. I said it about Tyron Howell last year, and the starting, I'm gonna say it about Isaiah Major. It's gonna be hard to keep him off the field because the man to me is just going to make the plays. Um, and then rounding out the uh, defense here is the defensive backs, which is led. By preseason All-American, Mr. O'Shea Harris, who we have on the podcast here. Great guy. Even better football player. I was told that he actually played some cornerback in the spring. He was playing some corner in the, in the preseason scrimmages. Uh, James Jackson told me, however, that uh, Tyron Howe uh, caught some impressive passes over, over O'Shea. Now, that's what tell you a lot right there. About Tyron Howell and his uh, and and his his ability. However, they must replace cornerback Malik Walker, who is now the DB coach at Broken Arrow. So I'm glad for Malik Walker. Malik Walker, I feel like was kind of an unsung hero. There, just did his job. 
Um, he was also a people of guy. Uh, so you you have to replace him now. Uh, you squeeze Underwood as a guy. Started off rough last season, came on strong, had a pick in the in the in the bowl game and won against Missouri Western. He's a guy I feel like will definitely be holding down a corner spot. And the question is opposite of him is where is 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 where you where the, the question lies. Because you have Daniel Bomb and Daniel Bomber again. Started the opener last year. I was surprised. Now he he is tall and rangy. Six foot two. It, it, it seemed like he was not ready last, which is why he was originally replaced by Dean Hallman, the Ball State transfer, and uh, Jordan Noyle back there as well, the Kent State transfer. Uh, really helped out that unit, kind of gave Kobe some time to uh, get his feet wet. Um, and then they added another Division two transfer, uh, Texas Tech transfer Adrian Cross. Uh, he did not play last year for Texas Tech, but he should be in the mix as well as Juco Chris Lewis. Um, and then you also have Jordan Brown, another Juco back there. And then you have Rush Freshman Stefan Bruner from uh, Centennial, uh, who was a very solid quarter in high school. So the, the being the quarter battle outside of Colby is the only question because you're talking about the safety. Find the best city duo in the conference. You have O'Shea All-American. Then you have Jakari Hunt. Jakari Hunt um, was a honorable mention. He also missed some time last year with, with dealing with some, some injury issues. He's a guy now uh, that coached me in the spring that a light came on. Now, if as good as Jakari was last year, if a light came on, I feel for anybody that comes across him because there will be much pain because Jakari last year, a physical player, I mean, the man might be 180 pounds, something wet, is a physical player. Again, you look up Xavier Woods and you come to Edmonton and you watch Jakari play, you cannot tell me there are similarities there. And I am excited to see what him and O'Shea can do back there. Uh, and then to round the team out here, um, the, special, the special teams unit. You cannot forget about special teams. Uh, special teams coach Tyler Holland did, did, a, did a great job last year again. Watch that Wasburn tape. I'm telling you, it is a clinic. Uh, they return kicker Alex Covado, punter Jay Tedesco, along with returners Dustin Boss and Tyler Howe. Uh, David Richards is also in the in the mix there to, to be a to be a returner. I feel like that might be the best case. So we're not wearing Boskis down as much, uh, given the the extra depth now. Uh, Covado was uh, was all conference. Excuse me, all conference guy last year. Currently owns the school record for consecutive point extras made with 56. Uh, long snapper Jaws Adebayo also returns for the third year as a very unsung hero in any team and it's important to get the, the snaps good every time. So the special teams unit, Coach Tyler Holland here, looking forward to seeing uh, strong play again. So as we wrap it up here, taking a quick glance at the schedule, they open the season against Pitt State again this Thursday at 7 p.m. I will be there. 
looking forward to it. Uh, should be a good one. And they go on the road next thir um, Thursday, September 12th against Kearney. Now, if you don't recall the MIAA, every team opens the season on a Thursday. So your first two games by the fall are on Thursdays. Uh, then they have a rare night game, uh, a rare Saturday night game. And they had one, I think the one against North Missouri State last year was was it five? I mean, it, it was, it was, it was a little bit late. I mean, it wasn't like it was, you know, um, just extremely. I mean, it was six. It was six. So, but this one is at seven against Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln is, a, is an HBCU. They are new to the MIAA. They are replacing Lindenwood, who left for the Glack. So, uh, I'm curious to see what they can do. Then, then to me, maybe the game of the year uh, at Northwest Missouri State on the 28th. Curious to see. I'm sure they're going to want some revenge. And UCO can get up to Because to me, UCO, there's no reason why UCO could not be 3-0 heading into that game. I feel like both teams could be 3-0 heading into that game. That is a chance right there. If they can beat Northwest Missouri State, and we're they're sitting at four and zero, uh, heading into Fort Hayes for homecoming on October fifth and one, you you have to say there is a chance at a point that they have a strong opportunity at the playoff. Because because if we look to start the past two seasons, they have finished strong each season. And it's the start to the season that has been the Achilles heel. They can get off to a quick start, even, even if it is 3-1, heading into Fort Hayes. Where the way that they've closed the season strong. I mean, you have Asheville, Missouri, Missouri Western at Wasburn. And then, you know, you have the two home games against Missouri Southern and, North, and Northeastern State. Uh, to me... I mean, if we're looking here, they they get off to a quick start. I don't see why. Couldn't be pushing nine wins. I, I, I really don't because look at it here. To me, the harder games on the schedule, they'll be playing back-to-back. -back. Uh, that is Northwest Missouri State and Fort Hayes. They can get past those two. I mean, I feel like they can beat Missouri Western because they beat them last year on the road but not playing the best game offensively. Uh, so the Missouri, they beat them the past couple of, of seasons. Uh, the year before was a 20-point blow on CMI and then last year was close. Uh, Wasburn is a team that I don't know. I don't know. I know they lost a uh, six-round draft pick to the Giants at deep defensive back. Not sure what they have returning. And then Missouri Southern and Northeastern State. Now, Missouri Southern um, has a new coach, Jeff Sims, uh, from Garden City uh, from Garden City Community College of Kansas. So, interesting to see what he does there. I did take a look at their recruiting class. He brought in quite a few of his, of his players there. And then, of course, Northeastern State. Uh, also has a new coach as well, so you don't know what to expect from them. Uh, while they might be more competitive, I, I it, this the talent level is head over heels better. Now you obviously have to take every opponent seriously. Um, 
But uh, you know, th and those those should be those honestly cannot be at a better time because again, you have a slate here from September twenty eighth through October twenty sixth, where it's I mean, it, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, the NCAA as compared to the SEC of D two, it is very tough. So you can't take take a game off. But to me, those two games against Missouri Southern and Northeastern State are well because the end of season at Emporia, those games, the Emporia games have just been classics uh, the past couple of couple of years. So two easier games might not be the worst thing before Emporia because again, an Emporia game could have a lot on the line. So you know, again, if I'm looking at the keys. Uh, Two to the season here, starting fast again. A three and zero start would go a long way. Uh, injury, it, you stay healthy, staying healthy is the key to every season. I, I know they have the depth, but that position, some positions, the depth is not experienced, and I find that kind of that kind of was the issue last year in some uh, in some some regard. So hopefully, that's not. A repeat and they just play complete games. I have to play complete games. Last year again there was you didn't know. You didn't, didn't know you just get a strong offensive game, strong defensive game where you have both come together. They can play a complete game every time they come off the field. This team will be hard to beat. So I'm, I'm gonna say last year I think I said Seven wins. I'm gonna go nine. I feel like this is at the very least a nine-win team. This team on paper is so good. It, it is. It is so good. And in fact, it's so good that they even got nine votes in the preseason poll. Nine votes. So uh, that would lead me to believe if they come out against Pitt State, have a good showing, and win, there is a chance. That by the time they travel up to Kearney, to Kearney, Nebraska, that we could be looking at a ranked UCO football team. So, really looking forward here to uh, to, to 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 what is to come this season for for the uh, for the Broncos. So, if we go ahead and wrap it up here, because we are over one hour, Jesus. Um, I will say I am not sure how many games I can make because, as you know, I graduated currently working part-time at OKC CBS for Radio 105.3 FM. I will be doing the pre-game show, their, their pre-game show, the OKC CBS pre-game show that takes place before, that takes place before OU games. So, uh, the thing is, I'm not sure what the kickoff times are for every OU game, but if the times have worked to where the pregame show ends, and I can still make it to the UCL games, I mean, I would I would definitely make as many as possible, because um, I have I got the press pass, so I will make it to as many as possible. Knowing OU. They had a lot of 11 o'clock kickoffs, so if it's the same, I should be able to make almost every home game. I should be able to at least make the first two home games. One is because they're on a Thursday, and the other one is because it's at 7 p.m. on a Saturday. So that's so you know we will do the very best 
to um, you know to, to to keep to keep the games the games going here so I can personally see it. But as always, um, it's been a pleasure looking forward to a great season. Uh, my name is Jonathan Goodo, aka JG Smooth, and I'll talk to you all later. That's all, folks. Bye. Have a great time. Thank you. Come again.